0: Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award winning realtor Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. Okay, Matt. Why did the city planner break up with his girlfriend? <laughs> what? Why? Because he wanted more space. <laughs> that uh, that was a joke from our guest today. We had a great time. Um, he's very influential for the actual planning of the city. He was the author of the OCP. Um, yeah, I
1: think like the main or one of the main people that put the supposed new OCP together.
0: Yeah, so really honored that, uh, yeah, City of Kelowna gave up a... Bit of their time, and we got to to pick his brain. Some pretty interesting plans going forward. If you are an investor or anyone that is just involved in the city and wants to kind of know some some good local areas to uh, develop, you want to listen to this a
1: Property that might be developed. Like we talked to Adam about how about the rezoning process and what that looks like in Kelowna and the core area.
0: Yeah, um, we touched on infill, multifamily, Airbnb. Lots of different bylaws, some commercial space coming in yeah. in certain neighborhoods. Enjoy That's the episode.
1: awesome if McKinley's ever in the liquor store. Let's
0: see what he says about that. Yeah, yeah. Matt's applied for the license out of his basement. So oh my
1: God, man. Do I have to drive everywhere?
0: <laughs> okay. Enjoy the episode, guys. All right, Adam Cheka. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. If you were a referral
1: from Caitlin Kessler, which we are super grateful for. And uh, you're from the City of Kelowna uh,
0: Planning Department. That's correct. Lots to talk about here. Welcome to the uh, icebreaker. This segment of the show is brought to you by Taylor at Venture Mortgages. Come venture into the exciting world of mortgages. What is your favorite Kelowna season?
2: I'm a big winter fan, but I also like summer. I'm just not a fan of those transition seasons. You yes, know, yeah. spring, Thank spring, you. fall. Like, <laughs> what to make, make up your mind. <laughs> yes, I know
0: those
1: trees, those magnolia trees. They just make everyone miserable.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <But> why? <laughs>
0: Why? Why winter? Do you, are you guys up on the ski hill? Or?
2: Well, I used to be a skier, but mostly curling. Oh yeah, I'm a big curler. That, yeah. Awesome. So, how long have you been doing that? Oh, uh, 20. Like, yeah, since a small kid. Yeah, that is so yeah, cool. Most
0: underrated sport. I was on the high school curling team. I you were? It. Yeah, it was a blast. I learned something new about you every episode.
1: Yeah, well, this is what awesome. Doing yeah. it for. Yeah. You know, I I've, I've been curling quite a few times, and like, it was kind of lethal for the new people, like on that ice. You could. It is crazy because
2: normally beers are involved too. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: You're in the league there. Oh yeah, multiple leagues. Yeah,
2: cool. And Very playing cool. multiple bonds fields, And last year, I was on the curling tour with a competitive team. So
1: I was going to say that must be
2: quite competitive then. Oh, uh, when we do the
1: tour events, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, you have fans la- lining the streets as you're oh. going to town, or
2: no, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: yeah. I thought for sure you would have. Yeah. All right. What's your drink of choice? Coffee, cocktail, wine, beer.
2: You got a coffee right now. Coffee right now. So definitely, like I said, by volume, coffee for sure. (laughs) Hands (laughs) down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I do like every other kind. Just depends on the context.
1: Yeah. We had we live in a good spot for that. So yeah, that's kind of like me too.
0: Yeah. Okay. If you had 12 hours before you had to leave Kelowna forever, what would you do for fun?
2: Like I said, I'd probably do a, a curling game, especially hopefully it was in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> or else I wouldn't be it able to do be. That. This is a question what, is that you it, can is just is make it. curling closed in the summer? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It turns into like a skateboard park sometimes. Or? <laughs> well, during COVID, it was, uh, was a pickleball. Shelter, was pickleball? Was pickleball? pickleball. Oh, was pickleball. pickleball. Oh. And then uh, this well, year, you usually do trade shows. So like the, uh, yeah. the home show, the tattoo show. Tattoo show. Yeah. And then right before the season starts, it's always the, um, it's a whiskey event.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah! Not the Taste of Ales uh, or Fest Ales. That's in Penticton. Yeah, that's in Penticton. But that's I've been to that whiskey event. I cannot yeah. remember what it's called. Awesome. But can we go back to they brought, for the COVID, they brought pickleball inside? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect.
2: <laughs> Why? What, uh, any reasoning behind that? Well, that, that was or? the, um, you remember when you were allowed to have, like, four people per table. Yeah. But, and as long yeah. as you were spread out like six X meters away, yeah. like in pickleball, you're like far enough away. And then there was a bar where they had like people spread out.
1: <laughs> Couldn't go golfing, but you could go. So did pickleball. You, did
0: you get into pickleball as well?
2: No. Well, my old man would want me to get into pickleball, but yeah, I think I need a few decades to join pickleball first. <laughs> oh, man. Like, everyone well, is I've good tried thing. it. I've actually tried it. Actually, it's, it's hard. It's actually a good workout. Yeah. Actually. I can imagine. I'm I, I have not tried it. Have you played that Taylor? Oh, a couple of times. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You feel
1: sore. Afterwards. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would,
2: I want to play that. That'd be awesome. Was that it? You, you're stopping at curling. Well, I guess I got to pick a uh, summertime event then uh, I guess in summertime, so I'm more of a like friends and family kind of guy rather than like a particular attraction? So I do a beer league soccer every week. So love Oops. to get out with the, the mates and uh, just have a fun. Cool. So Taylor does that too. You guys play against each other? Uh, I'm indoor. I'm at CNC. You oh yeah, same. Oh, yeah? yeah, we okay. play. Uh, this year it was brutal though. They switched the night of the league, so I had to cancel this year because conflicted with curling
0: oh yeah you can't have that <laughs> that's awesome
2: used to be wednesdays and then it was tuesdays and then i couldn't play this year yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, i know someone at the city could get that change for you <laughs>
0: oh
2: really <laughs> yeah
0: yeah but on the ocp the- there's just gonna be a massive curling, <laughs> yeah and a yeah. soccer field right there soccer has to be tuesday nights yeah yeah, yeah. it's
1: written in stone and this council doesn't change anything <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right
1: I Ab mean, if you could purchase a property in the okanagan in the next year what would it be i just put down an investment. What kind of investment would you be looking for? A guy like you that is kind of in... In,
2: in the planning things. development world. Yeah. Plus, I don't know, like a lot of other married men out there, I'm sure we've all got our share of HGTV. We haven't watched a lot of HGTV lately. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I would just say a standard like, investment rental property that you can manage you know, close by. Like, I know a lot of people have properties you know for rental income from previous cities they lived in yeah like in calgary they moved to kelowna yeah it just seems a little bit of a hassle i don't. i guess it's fine but yeah you gotta really trust your property managers yeah
1: yeah good point you do so you would just buy like a long-term rental property but i guess you could buy one in a good spot that you know is gonna be redeveloped Favor. i mean if
0: i had the capital to do it yeah Yeah. okay so i'm i'm gonna (laughs) ask for a friend i'll ask two questions so if you had like six hundred thousand dollar all in purchase price, mm-hmm. what would you buy? Where would you buy it? I mean, that's probably going to put you in the range of a condo somewhere. Mm-hmm. Do you have any developments that you like
2: right now? Yeah, I guess I am a little biased because I was the planner for a uh, water street by the park. Um, ah. and probably that one, like I've always said that that property or that area reminds me of kind of like the West side of Vancouver yep. where it was, you know, wasn't the nicest area of town, but then over time, like Cole Harbour became just, you know, so expensive in terms of real estate value. Yeah, and you know the water park, city park, all the amenities downtown Bernard. You know, there's so much potential on Leon and Lawrence over the long term.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you yeah. there.
2: I mean, there there are obviously some caveats there, but yes.
1: Yeah, but like. A place can really only get better. It's in a mm-hmm. top-notch location right when you get into town. And, yeah, it can... Well, move. the views would be unbelievable, too. Yeah. Those yeah. 12 yeah. hours. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, can I ask a question about zoning for short-term rentals? Like, is that... How does that work? Does, are you the person that decides that it's going to be a short-term <laughs> rental? Or, like, how
0: does that <laughs> You're going to be getting so many phone calls after that. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I, I am the guy that was the author who rewrote the new zoning bylaw, which yeah. was adopted by council. And yeah. September of last year. Yeah. Yeah. So the planning department makes recommendations. We take advice, uh, we take direction from yeah. our council. Yeah. And back in 2019 or 2018, council really wanted to regulate short-term rentals. So yeah. we came in with a comprehensive report with one of my colleagues yeah. who did it at the time. And the more or less the rules have stayed the same since then. Yeah. Uh, currently, our council has asked for a short-term rental review yeah, And so they do want to kind of have an update to that policy now that it's been, what, three or four years? Yeah. So the current rules are you cannot short-term rental out your place unless you're the principal resident. Yep. So there are some exceptions. And on our website, there is, a, on the mapping, if you go onto the mapping, there is a layer that shows non-conforming property. So there'll be any property that had short-term rentals prior to that rule coming into being got grandfathered so that whole building got to be allowed to have short-term rentals and then there are a few others so like the examples are on sunset drive the brooklyn there yeah. are a few other projects that were under construction
1: so those got short-term allowed because they were grandfathered in before that's that correct
0: uh-huh. Interesting. so we, we actually just did a recording on short-term rentals so that'll yeah. be released tomorrow and we noticed like i think it was 2009 there's a big gap until like, to like 2018. 2018, 2018 yeah. there were no short-term rental buildings. And now there's like Brooklyn, Aqua, Caban, like there's a few that are being developed now. Like why was there such a large gap?
2: I think it was just you just follow the um sharing economy, the evolution of the um, Airbnb and VRBO and all those websites, you know, they didn't really exist 2009, Yeah. And then as they got more popular, you know, there's been more with more and more demand for regulation. And so from 2014, when I joined the city to Boat 2019, that's when it really started growing and started, you know, getting a lot of complaints from council and like people right. were renting out their houses and, yeah. you know, having huge problems in the neighborhood. And so that's when the regulation came in about the uh, short-term rentals. So okay. there were obviously some people that were doing it. And at the time, the way when you write a new rule and you put it in the zoning bylaw, existing uses get grandfathered. So as called non-conforming permitted use. Yeah
0: when they're reviewing it right now, are we going to see more accepted short-term rentals in the future? Or are they reviewing it to like decrease the amount of approved
2: applications? Uh, My guess is that it's going to be probably more restrictive specifically. Like I would say something related to stratas. Like I've seen a number of stratas, essentially when you're allowed to have it as your principal residence, it's really hard to prove a lot of times that it's not your principal residence. Yeah. especially, and then the strata become the police and our bylaw enforcement and our business licensing group is extremely difficult to police those. I could see potentially something like in new strata buildings, you know, if the strata bylaws, if the developer sets it up to have no short-term rentals that we just have no, it's not, not even a principal use as a short-term rental. And then at the same time, you know, maybe there are more relaxations in more like tourist focused areas. Like we've always used to have the trust. Well, kind of like where the new aqua development is yeah, yeah. It was yep. always meant to be a more tourist area so you know there could be you know giveth and taketh away you know situations
1: you know we were talking about this too like obviously when you have short-term rentals it takes away from the housing of long-term tenants but we live in a city that basically doubles in size every summer mm-hmm. so you feel like it feels like there is room for something like a short-term rental in Kelowna i, I know other com- communities might not work that well but i feel like Kelowna is kind of perfect for it How do, what do you think about that
2: Yeah, no, I think, well, one of the large uh, markets is students in the shoulder season or, you know, in the winter. And then, obviously, the the short-term rentals during the summer. That was debated in 2019, and that was basically said, we don't, the city doesn't want to see those. Really? Any further than it already was. Yeah. Effectively, some people can get around it by, you know, the problem is the city doesn't want to see long-term units go away from the tenancy act. And as soon as you go into a short term rental and you go less than a month to month, then you're not in the tenancy act anymore. So yeah. there was no good way to merge kind of the tenancy act with kind of doing students like half a year or yeah. three quarters of a year. So
1: that's what I was talking about too. Like if you get a student in for nine months, like the tenancy act doesn't allow you to just get them out. after that's right. That, right. So it's, that's always been kind of a gray area for me too. Like, it's just hard to work that because just because of the way our laws are.
2: I mean, practically, like if you make deals where, you know, you can get a guaranteed spot back in September. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a lot of incentives that you can do so that, you know, people who do want to do short-term rentals in the summertime they can find ways around it. But
1: yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So you were in charge of doing all the, like the writing the new OCP.
2: Uh, the new zoning bylaw oh, the new zoning so bylaw. one of my colleagues uh, his name is Rob Miles yeah. was the project manager for the official community plan yeah. which was adopted so last January you know from the current development side which is what what I'm on and so in yeah. the zoning bylaw and so when people do applications you know I help on that OCP team in terms of like implementation items yeah. and you know what how to translate policy into Regulations. Yeah. And so while that was going on, we were coordinating on the zoning bylaw side how to implement the official community plan. Yeah. And so once that got approved by council, we spent from January to September getting it adopted by council, going through the approval process. Yeah. And so there were some massive changes that occurred in the new zoning bylaw as the direct result of the official community plan being approved. And one clear example is there's a new urban center. Kind of um, policies in terms of building height, street character, whether they want to see residential, commercial. And there are also targets per urban center, you know, in terms of... Like how many units? How many units. Okay. unit for density and how much growth that the city is expected to take and how much the urban centers are expected to accommodate... And so in the new zoning battle, what we did was we did a, we essentially pre-zoned all the urban centers to the various urban center zone and calibrated all the heights that matched the OCP policy heights. Uh, so the official community plan and also the street character map. So now that category and height, whether it's like four stories, six stories, 12 yep. stories, 26 stories has a designated density yep. what we call floor area ratio. Yep. And then like we the FAR. also are FAR. Yep. yep. And then we built an, um, uh, density bonusing on top of that so that there are incentives that you can build so you can get on the margin slightly higher development rights whether it's that we have a streetscape bonus or affordable housing bonus or rental housing bonuses and uh, or there's under and there's a few other bonuses like underground parking or extra bicycle parking or car share There are all sort of incentives baked into the zoning bylaw that kind of coordinate between all the regulations
1: wow so you if you do those things though the city will allow more units sorry? that's right wow interesting so how is that written
2: somewhere in the city oh yeah
1: i got to find that because that's oh, yeah. super interesting
2: yeah and i've done uh, a number of presentations one i did one to the uh, remax realtor group and yeah. you know we're my colleague barb who's uh kind of like coordinator of the project and yeah. I was the author uh, we've coordinated implementation sessions for people to you know if they want presentations on the details yeah. of you know what it says and and so that that's been relatively successful to date, but it's still pretty new. Like it's only what five months, six months. Yeah. Down.
1: Also, I feel like it needs so. to be shouted out for more podcasts here because more people <laughs> need to know. Are, like, is that would that affect like MF two, MF three properties? Or what oh kind? yeah,
2: well the term MF two and MF three were new categories that yeah. we created. Yeah. Um, so instead of the old multifamily zones had a had five multifamily zones, and there was kind of a mix. Yeah. Like the the lowest one was a fourplex, and then Yeah. RM two, three, four were kind of a mix between townhouses and and apartments depending on the context. Yeah. It was always really uncertain. So it was kind of sloppy. Yeah. And then uh, we had RM five and RM six, which there was a number of times where we had to use a a zone that was inappropriate and put a height covenant on because the the densities didn't match. So all that went away and we went to three multifamily zones, you know, the fourplex zone, Which is the old Ru Seven, which is now the MF One. MF One, yeah. And MF Two, which is our townhouse zone, and MF Three, which is our apartment zone. And then built into the apartment zone, there are like kind of two major categories. Like there's areas identified where you're having four stories as of right, and then depending upon the context, like if you're not beside any Ru Ones or or any single family developments, and you're next to a transportive corridor, you get as of right to go to six stories. So there are certain circumstances in the apartment zone where You have different kind of density and height.
1: Okay, so if you have a property that gets zoned as MF2 and it's mid-block and there's single families on each side, that will be like a... You'll support townhouse developments, but maybe not go to MF3 to get an apartment building in there? Is that kind of what you mean?
2: Well, a good example is one recent one at council just recently on Coronation. I forget the exact address. Uh, Yeah, I know. But it was on uh, last Tuesday's public hearing agenda. So the way the multifamily policies work in the official community plan is essentially in the core area. Yeah. The kind of the, the broad scopes is that if you're on a transit supportive corridor, you get the six stories high density. We want to see, we want to see those corridors have significant density to, to support transit supportive corridors. And that makes sense. And then as you go away, like further distance to like middle of the core of the OC or of the core area. So like, that's where you're kind of our old r seven or MF one. So basically anywhere in the core, you're allowed to rezone to MF one and yep. you can do a fourplex. I mean, there are, when I say allowed, there are circumstances where you need to have a big enough lot. You need to have yeah. Like parking. Yeah. That's setbacks. right.
1: You alley 50 foot wide. wide well, across.
2: not anymore. So the new, that was the old rules was yep. the one where you had to have a lane. So yeah. now we've expanded it. So now any lot can rezone to an MF one, even without a lane.
1: Interesting, so, I, but you'd need a bigger, like just to get a car in there, you'd probably need a wide lot for that.
2: Yeah, and a lot of typical lots in Rutland yeah. um, typically have, let's say, 18 to 20 meter wide lots, and yeah. you can get a, easily get a six meter drive aisle down the side to get a fourplex in. Yeah, almost no problem. So, and then there's a fuzzy area between, let's say, on the border of a transportive corridor in the middle of the core area, yeah. where it transitions from six stories down to a four story or yeah. three story apartment, down to a townhouse, down to a down to the fourplex, you know, and they were on purpose within the Fisher community plan fuzzy because there are so many factors that go into, you know, what is appropriate, you know, an apartment building or a townhouse as an infill development and things like, you know, if you're adjacent to schools, adjacent to parks, adjacent to commercial areas, whether you have a budding single family. And so there's so many situations where it depends is the classic answer in planning, uh, (laughs) Whether which is the most important, and yeah. we had a good uh, example on coordination where it was kind of on the margin. Where typically all the houses that were or the properties that were developed on that street were MF ones, they were yeah. fourplexes. Yeah, a developer had they had two lots, so there was a, it was kind of like two half size lots. So it was a big bigger lot, but uh, they wanted to go to the townhouse zone, so they wanted to go to three stories, and uh, it was a five four vote by council, and they voted for it. So. But those are the ones that were, and that's why we have a public hearing process as well of council, where we have those on the margin judgment calls, you know, what it should be. That was the process to go through and council decided that on net, if it like tie essentially went to housing, that's kind of how I read it. More housing, the better we're in a housing crisis within, within the community. As evidenced by, you know, the premier and a lot of the provincial mandates coming down the pipeline here. Yeah,
1: I definitely want to talk to you about that for sure. But so right now, so to get something rezoned, like let's say to an RU4 to an MF2 or MF3 or something. Yeah. We make a plan, we submit it to the city, and then does it have to be, it has to be approved by council, right? Would you guys like kind of give your rubber stamp before we even bring it to council or how does that work?
2: Well, in general, so if it's just a rezoning, uh, yeah. we typically want to see like whether it's viable to put on the project yeah. that's being proposed. And then yeah, and then it goes to first reading, and it always goes with a staff recommendation of support or non-support. Yep. Yeah. And then uh the council agrees, then there's a development permit that looks at the details. And in general, with a new zoning bylaw, we're kind of frowning upon variances. Yeah. Especially if it's to height or parking. Yeah. But there are always circumstances where there's sometimes variances are necessary.
1: Yeah.
2: Like we went to council um, the other day, where there was there was this issue about home based business major, and this person didn't couldn't have a hairdresser because there was an old rule in the bylaw that had something about you can only have one client per day, and council didn't <laughs> agree with that at all. No kidding. So, yeah, like it was like as long as you only had a client at any one time you didn't need any more parking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. the idea was that if it, let's say you had like 10 clients at any one time you would need more yeah. parking on
1: site to start getting a little
2: right, in your that. home-based business. Yeah. But in this circumstance, you can see a lot of people have you know, just one client at a time. Yeah. We don't need extra parking. So yeah. that's, that's on our list to fix. So uh, that's not fixed yet, but uh, the next round of amendments that's on my list for council to review is that's one of them. Interesting.
0: You're going to have to get approved for a podcast in the the Batcave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long does that take? Like, what's the time frame? If, yeah. If like someone wants to buy this property, yeah, and develop it into a any kind of multifamily. What's your guys's goal for efficiency on that?
2: Well, like I said, with planning, it always classic is it depends. <laughs> but that'll be the name of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, it depends, yeah. or the episode. <laughs> it depends. Yeah, <laughs> planning. Yeah. Obviously on the scale, right? So yeah. if it, if it's a fourplex, like if it's an MF1 type yeah. thing, that's relatively simple. There are some minimums in terms of like public hearings. You have to have two weeks of advertisement in the newspaper you yeah. put a sign on the property. And so like if everything went and we also generally have a, like a month long, once you make the application process to circulate it to all of our departments and agencies. So yeah. engineering, building, Fortis, you know. Uh, fire, police, if, if the application needed it. Yeah. So they have a month t- typically to review. And then at the very minimum, it's a month or two months to go through all the you know, process of first reading, yeah. second, third adoption and public hearing. So I would say at minimum, usually it's three to four months, but in general, it's a little longer due yeah. to kind of like the booming nature of Kelowna. Like yeah. we have a huge volume of applications relative to our planning department size, yeah. like to any other municipality and kind of the province of the country booming city. Yeah, we were one of the biggest growth. I always say this good story when I was doing a lot of multifamily rental projects in 2018, 19, 20, I was at a a urban development institute luncheon with, it was somebody from CMHC saying, look at your record amount approvals and building permits for new rental apartment buildings. And it's a huge spike. And maybe you guys should slow down because I don't know if you're going to have, be able to take that much absorption. Oh and then, God. and then the person came back the next year in 2019 or 2020 at the lunch and said, Oh, sorry, I, I, that was a mistake. You could have doubled the amount of rentals <laughs> yeah. and I, and you still went to, you know, absorbed all the, uh, yeah. Yeah. all the units. So
0: like, is it just as simple as saying, okay, you guys need more staff. You just need to hire more people to get more approvals or is it land? Like what would be the solution to make that a faster process to build or do we want to?
2: One of the, um, Things that the province just introduced, which was yep. you know of the mandate essentially of getting more housing, yeah, is um delegated authority. one of the ideas is that if we have quote unquote minor variances, typically right now anything that needs a variance has to get approved by council, and then the process you have to put a sign on the property, yeah you know it's essentially it's a public hearing equivalent, but it's a it's a council meeting on a tuesday after, uh, evening, even if it's like a you know a couple inch Pergola set back to your neighbor's property on a on a single family <laughs> dwelling, right? So, and so a lot of people just don't do it, or they do it illegally or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so, the province allowed for just recently—I forget exactly when—but within the year, uh, for councils to decide uh, to delegate some minor variances to staff. Yeah. And so, we have myself and the director have kind of wrote a report. We went, we took an initial fyi report to council in january and they said yes we do like it we do want to go down it you know draft the bylaws and so that's what we did and it's on next monday for may 8th to look at uh, delegated authority for staff so we define what minor variances are and then the the
1: city council is going to vote on it they're going to basically vote away their minor powers there
2: yeah so we'll see if they agree um they did say this is what they wanted so I think it's a win-win in terms of, like, the proposal right now because it's excluding anything that's multifamily. Yeah. So, anything that's multifamily will still need to go to council. Yeah. But it's all these, like, half of the file loads on variances are related to, like, these small single family that usually get supported or doesn't have any controversy. Yeah. And there are guidelines, obviously, when provincial legislation says you have to define what minor is and then you have to write a series of guidelines. Yeah. And one of the guidelines is recommended is if there's a significant public interest you know, essentially staff can forward that to council. Yeah. So, but the the goal here is, you know, I think there's 40 or 50 applications a year that are always, it's considered minor. Yeah. And that could just be, streamline that process. Oh, that'd be Don't nice. have to go to council, like cut yeah. down the application cost, yeah. cost in half and time in half. Yeah. So, you know, that should help. You know, and in Kelowna, we've always been like on the forefront of kind of like innovation in terms of we were the first ones to do RU7. We're yeah. doing this delegated authority. So we, we've we been trying to push the envelope in terms of, you know, approvals. And I always say that our approval times here are much better than the lower mainlands. If you go to lower mainlands yeah. um, approval times, typically they're much longer than Columbus. Yep,
1: yep. Interesting. So let's talk about David Eby announcement, the fourplex on every lot mm-hmm. uh, thing. So how are you guys as a city handling that?
2: Well, I think a lot of the recommendations, I think David Eby came you know, directly from Kelowna. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, our director was involved in a lot of the, like kind of the recommendations to the provincial government. Cause you know, we were the leaders in fourplexes. Like we have, you know, our old RU seven and now MF one, we did a big pre-zoning ups, uh, exercise, right. that yeah. had a huge area and now we've expanded that now to be allowed to be anywhere in the core area. Yeah. I mean, there, obviously there are some issues that need to be worked out in terms of details. Like when they say, every single family. Well, I was
1: going to ask like, what about heritage sites and like all this kind
2: of stuff? Well, I think more fundamentally it's more like, let's say you go way up in the hill slopes where you don't have the necessary fire flows. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't think they mean, well, hopefully they don't mean like you have to have a threeplex in there and you can't fight the fires.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: you'd think that maybe like the clause would be that subject to basic infrastructure, but even so that would include a lot of areas of, of the town. We're already thinking about how to, accommodate that. Ask from council is to review our RU4 zone. RU4 zone is our duplex housing, semi detached yeah. zone. Yeah. And in the new bylaw, it allowed suites. And there were a few controversial applications that came in at the very beginning of this council. So they wanted to put an asterisk on there and kind of re-look at that. And so some of the things that we're thinking of is like, you know, maybe it's a house with a suite and a carriage house. Right now, yeah. that's not allowed. You can't have yeah. a suite and a carriage house.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But you know, so those are some of the, and that would then satisfy the provinces, you know, must have at least three units. Yeah. You'd have one real estate entity, two rentals would help rentals. Yeah. So those are the kind of the ideas. And obviously we we're kind of generating a, you know, comprehensive report for council to look at. It's still an ongoing thing. A lot of the details at the provincial level, like they just announce that and then yeah. they don't say. <laughs> you like figure it exactly out. Exactly yeah. when or. <laughs> yeah.
1: When do you think this is coming down? Like when? When should every lot, like the flats of Kelowna and Rutland, like plan to every house to be a fourplex or a threeplex?
2: I mean, right now in just with our current official community plan, any lot within the core area can rezone to have an infill. And
1: the core area is like significant size; it's almost everywhere.
2: I mean, you go from downtown all the way up Glenmore Valley, all the way to Rutland, down to H two O, basically. Nice. Yeah. That's, it, I was looking at this cause I have quite a
1: few of these kind of deals going on and like, there is, it is significant. There's a lot of properties there. Also, Kelowna is very a flat place. Like it's a nice place to build on. Like there is, you don't realize, well, you do realize this if you think about it for two seconds, but like from the lake all the way to Rutland, yeah. besides Glenmore and then the upper mission, like it is flat and super easy to develop. So it's kind of nice to uh, live in a good place for that
0: what are kind of the main issues for the city for like non-conforming suites or, or anything? Is it mostly parking or just the actual like infrastructure of the house? Like obviously there, there are a lot of non-conforming suites around is the city practically doing anything to, to find those or are we just kind of, is everyone just kind of sitting on our hands and okay with it?
2: I would say there's probably less non-conforming suites than there used to be. Like, 2011 or 2010 there used to be a subzone where you had to rezone your property to like an RU1S yeah and council used to spend you know 100 or 200 applications a year to get a suite and they would sit through public hearing after public hearing after public hearing and they would support it 98% of the time and so that got rid of and so now secondary suites are allowed essentially everywhere any single family dwelling and during that transition period there was relaxations for you know, fees and stuff. And so now, mostly what the city's concerned about non-conforming suites is just meeting BC building code, you know, health and life safety. The parking rules are you're allowed to have a secondary suite on your driveway. So if you have a two-car garage, you have enough parking. So, I mean, there are some situations, let's say you have a single-car garage and a single-car driveway, then you need to have an extra parking stall. I think to most people that kind of makes sense that you should have a, you know, parking stall for the suite. Even if it's just in the driveway. Most times, I think suites are just make sure it meets BC building code. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. And it's like complaint based mostly for getting them from the city to clap down on
2: them or? I mean, anything that's enforcement action is always complaint based. Yeah. And now that I think about it, the part of the bigger actually non conforming issue is people using their suites for short term rentals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So actually, we talked about that last week also. Yeah. yeah.
2: Cause that's technically not permitted either. So.
0: So you don't you don't have to answer this if yeah. you want to, but how do they clamp down on that? Like we've heard anywhere from hiring a third party company software that finds those Airbnb listings. Oh yeah, um, all that. Yeah,
2: okay. We're proactive in terms of uh, I don't know any of the like IT technical details, but there is a company that essentially scours the internet for listings, everything, to try to find short term rentals, and then yeah. uh, bylaw follows up on it, especially because it's such a hot button issue on the short term rentals. So that's really the kind of the only one that I can think of, unless you come up with another example that's really proactive in terms of enforcement. Yeah. And I think it's mostly a lot of these short term rentals can be accommodated, right? So, you know, essentially we want a short term business we want a business license. We want, you know, a designated parking stall. So yeah. and that they follow the rules in terms of, you know, the maximum amount of occupancy. And so lots of times they can it can be okay, especially if it's your principal residence. But
1: okay, so we were talking off air about commercial developments and neighborhoods with commercial. And what were you telling us about McKinley? Because we're in McKinley recording this episode right now. And is there any commercial applications in
2: McKinley?
0: <laughs> Matt's uh, trying to find a restaurant.
1: Yeah, I would like a liquor store within walking distance from my house. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's limited commercial. Like, there's I think yeah. there's a commercial retail unit. Yeah, at a pizza McKinley. shop that's not even open in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's a lot of multifamily uh, get, getting proposed right now on Hilltop yeah. Drive and it's kind of like I'd say maybe similar to the Ponds where for yeah. a number of years there was very limited commercial up in the Ponds yeah. and just recently now there's the new grocery store that's going in there yeah. and it kind of with the commercial it's kind of you need the residential density first and then yeah. and then commercial comes in later so I would assume if you know a lot of these build it and they will come. So I think once you start getting a certain density and people are not wanting to drive so much, and it really depends because in Area 1, which is the kind of the hilltop of McKinley, the yeah. new, new McKinley, that's yeah. where short-term rentals is actually allowed as a principal use. Yeah. Good
1: spot um, for it, honestly.
2: And so it depends. like If that's primarily used for that, maybe there's less demand for commercial, right? If there's less people living there year-round because yeah. commercial really needs... You know, long term, it's very hard to make ends meet if you only have three months of the year to yeah, no. Yeah. You know, make your money. But
1: so what you're saying is basically, a financial the financial incentive isn't there, but the city's not holding it back. We could put a plaza in with some stores up here.
2: There is a limited amount of commercial that's allowed in the zone. Okay. There is a custom zone for the CD eighteen McKinley. Yeah.
0: Does so this, does the city incentivize any commercial? Like, or do you guys carve out a piece of land and say? you know hey we'll we'll give any kind of grants or anything cuz we need the infrastructure or do you just purely let that from a, a business owner apply and kind of start the ball rolling?
2: well in these newer areas so like let's say the ponds like christman mountain or Wilden or yeah. mckinley in general there's a node identified and we don't really like to see commercial like spread out from that node cuz you want to really concentrate that into like at least in an area where like Killa Valley is a good example where it's a small commercial, but you can park your car and then there's a little walking area. Yeah. So, it, you know, and that's nice versus let's say it's all spread out. Kind of the, one of the examples, like there's that little commercial on Southridge drive and you have to drive to it and there's not really any walking area around it. Yeah. It's fine. It's nice. It's a good service to the community, but ideally you want to kind of concentrate those commercials in a little bit of nodes so you can get kind of, that inertia going where people can actually habitate the space and turn it into like a little bit of a village center.
1: Yeah. Cause my next question was going to be about Wilden. Like as I sell real estate up there and my number one complaint is that there's nothing around there to like, there's nothing, no stores around there. Is there anything coming up in Wilden?
2: Yeah. We've uh, been talking to the Wilden group. It's been on their books for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, there's a big, kind of a two-story parkade and Ranging from four to six story apartment buildings above a full floor of commercial, right beside the pond yep. area. And there'll be nice commercial restaurants overlooking. But that's all still really high level. And it's been just, you know, the floating the owners and the applicants kind of just talking to staff, just in pre-application. So I mean, there's a lot of items that have to happen before that actually hits even my desk. Like there's a lot of hoops for them to justify commercial and it's not just the city sitting there like no, no. Yeah. So that's always been a kind of identified it's yeah. zoned for that yeah. So this is more up just waiting for the wilden people yeah. to put an
1: application and i guess the next question would be like black mountain and cursor mountain like is there anything coming up there you know of
2: yeah, Kershaw Mountain has had a village center proposed for quite some time. We've been in pre-applications. kind of the same situation. There's a landowner there that's got a number of parcels. Yeah. That's been anticipating a kind of a village node. Yeah. You know, significant amount of commercial with apartments above the commercial. Yeah. But again, we've said that that's what the OCP says. We can have a zone for you, but it hasn't come. The owners just hasn't come in. So what about for application uh,
0: Kelowna Springs Golf Course? like is that now taken over the developer who bought it was Mm -hmm. going to develop it in commercial space is that going through
2: oh well right now that's going through so what happened there was our official community plan converted it from institutional to industrial in the last round of the ocp so that was done in january 2022 and then this council has said that they don't want well there's an active debate amongst our council about you know whether it should be industrial or institutional as official community plan kind of future land use designation and the point of the future land use designation is to signal what a rezoning application would be supported as so yes. if it's industrial then that's saying that that we would you know staff would support an industrial um rezoning and if it was an institutional land use then you know we would not support uh, an industrial rezoning
1: what what so. is, what's institutional like what what does that mean uh
2: institutional is kind of like schools parks golf courses so it's your um, anything that falls under like a p1 p2 p3 before utilities fire halls you know so those sort of things so they're not really meant they're not commercial they're not industrial parks and open spaces are also an institutional land use
0: and do you have to maintain that institutional land use like per capita that's written in your ocp like yes we need x amount of golf course x amount of parks for the growth of the city
2: oh well there's there's a lot of policies depending upon like the exact angle. Like in our parks department, there is a target for a number of open spaces and active parks like per kind of like residential density. So like depending on if you're in an urban center or in the suburbs or they have a target of where they want to see a certain amount of neighborhood parks or citywide parks or active recreation parks. And then there are a lot of, you know, natural environment policies as well in terms of stormwater management, as well as you know, ecosystem and habitat protection, especially with wetlands, because uh, Colonel Springs is a, you know, very yeah. wet piece of parcel. Oh, ruined lots of socks there. Yep. <laughs> lots of painted turtles out of the sand traps. <laughs> That's why, like, this one is as well as, like on, like, on the margin is controversial because we have seen, like, a, with our fish community plan, like, a big need for industrial space. We've seen a lot of industrial develop over the last decade. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, you know, there's also, you know, huge value in having you know these recreational properties for the residents of Kelowna, the benefits of the natural environment as it is, you know, taking up all the storm or the natural uh water and the rainwater. And I mean there's debates about on um, golf courses for you know environmental purposes yeah. either way, but I would say that there's there's arguments on either side for that. So that's that's an active area of debate with our council. So whether that goes there's a public hearing scheduled for I should know the exact date. It's a Tuesday, June that council has organized a public hearing so that people from the community can have their say. And about the, about that golf course? About that golf course. Oh, interesting.
0: Because I, I mean, selfishly, I would love for it to stay because it, it is a good-, good Yeah, course. I don't know if it's ideal. I don't know if I'd support it being industrial there. I mean, yeah, we need industrial in the city, obviously, but when would a golf course ever come back? Yeah, that's the you know, thing. Like as soon as you build there, well, where are you going to get a piece of land of that size where someone's going to invest- Build a golf course, so yeah.
2: Well, I guess there, were, there was supposed to be a golf course at McKinley, but then that didn't happen.
0: Damn yeah, matt Matt opposed it. He wants yeah. liquor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, this is all good stuff. Can you give us like a, a four minute, thirty thousand foot view? Like, how do you come up with an OCP? What are the steps? Like, I mean, obviously it's a, mm. a long winded answer, but do you guys kind of have you, you reverse engineer it? You start with a few goals that you want to achieve, and then just work backwards from there.
2: Oh yeah the local government act, the provincial government sets out minimums. So there are like minimum topics that you have to hit. So one of the basic ones is that you have to develop permit areas. So that's the official community plan gives you your authority to do development permits, whether they're natural environment development permits or form of character development permits. And that's where you have your guidelines for what buildings should or shouldn't look like. And that's where you also have like your minimum riparian setbacks in our natural environment areas. So those are sort of like there's minimum chapters that are identified by the province in the local government act that says this is what you have to include in an official community plan. And then there's all obviously the chapters that we had in previous OCPs. So you want to keep a lot of consistency. So you have a lot of the same chapter headings, whether it's, you know, environment, future development, you know, our current infrastructure, future project lists, and everything's got to meet our financial plan as well. All the policies and kind of high level, big picture stuff needs to kind of coordinate. So that's how you start, and then my colleague Rob probably would be a better person to like say how it actually went because I think it was a, <laughs> about a year and a half year process, yeah. maybe maybe longer, maybe it was two years, and you know it involves you know multiple public meetings, multiple council meetings, like multiple check ins. Are we on the right direction? This is what you want to see, yeah. and that's like per topic, right? So this is like there's a lot of back and forth between staff and council and the public. know, developing an efficient community plan.
1: When was our municipal election? When was that? That was October. October. And then when did
2: the OCP come in, the new one? January twenty twenty two. So the October twenty two was the election.
1: So it came in kind of just before.
2: Yeah. And then the new zoning bylaw was adopted by the previous council the month before the election.
1: Interesting. So the elections must change a lot of things for you. When on election night are you guys sitting on the edge of your chair wondering how your job's gonna change or how (laughs)
2: does how does that work? Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the nature of local government, right? Like yeah. the point of elections is that, you know, they're the elected officials that, you know, represent, you know, the people to make decisions. And yeah. there's a lot of consequences that happen from it, like in terms of, you yeah. know, infrastructure priorities, you know, if we're going to, you know, put more money towards transportation, bike roads, park, like they're, just even on the capital side, that's, there's lots of consequences. Yeah. And budgets every year. Let alone on the policy side, than on the zoning and development side too. Yeah. So council is supposed to utilize the official community plan yeah. that's adopted because it's like kind of a corporate document yeah. um, to help. And it, it goes
1: through councils. it lasts a long time. So it's not like you get a new OCP every time in a new election.
2: You get a new official community plan about every 10 years.
0: Yeah, that's right. Do you
2: guys do amendments during that 10-year period?
0: Like, are there any changes to it when needed or when's it
2: Yes. Needed? Usually it's limited if something doesn't meet the official community plan let's say on a development application uh there's usually we have a scorecard at the bottom of every you know application that says these are the policies you meet and these are the policies that you know are lacking yeah. there's so many objectives depending on how you look at it that you're never going to meet every single policy right so that's why we have elected officials to help, like, you know, staff will provide their technical recommendations and say, these are all the things that we've combed through the officially plan. These are what's relevant. And this is our recommendation. But then ultimately, it's up to the you know, elected official to make the final decision. So there's nothing that's ever going to meet the OCP 100%. Yep. And that's why those are policies and there's people to make decisions yeah that's
1: i know that this this council is sticking with the o c p and like you said they're not they're being very stubborn on variances and all that. just talking to you, it seems interesting because they didn't vote in the o c p and they're still sticking to it, so it's kind of i don't know what that says, but it kind of says something interesting there
2: each council has their own kind of like agenda or their own you know issue de jure yeah and you know obviously that can be built in like the problem with the previous regime in terms of um, the ocp and zoning interrelationship yeah. is that a lot of it just didn't make like one of the examples was uh six-story wood frame buildings came in on the bc building going i think in 2012 yep, yeah. 2011 and the previous ocp was done in 2009 2008 or something like that yeah and so it didn't even incorporate six-story buildings so nothing was allowed and so we were just kind of patchwork after patchwork you know None of the zones met with in terms of FAR. And so everything now is much more coordinated. So it's a lot easier for council to say yes or no to a certain thing. And then if they don't like something like, like for example, on the on that home-based business major, yeah. they just directed us to look at it and change the rule. Awesome. So I think it's making it easier to make amendments over time because a lot, a lot of regulations and policies are a lot more coordinated now than they used to be.
1: So, I have a hard-hitting question here for you, but uh, were you involved with the planning of the DeHart Park there?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Do you, Have you seen that plan? Uh, I have seen it. Yeah. I did talk to the, one of the parks planner that was yeah. involved in it. I had a few suggestions. Yeah. None, None of my, my, my suggestions. Curling. <laughs> yeah. Rink. None of my suggestions were taken. Yeah. It's awesome
1: that they're putting the park there. I actually really love that. I, hey,
0: we love we love and support the park. We're only laughing we laugh. when we were discussing it when Caitlin was on the yeah. episode. It's like, man, they are fitting a lot in that park.
1: It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. When I look at that park, I see like one soccer field. When you look at that plan, there's two soccer fields that take up like less than a quarter of the plant. I don't know. Like, it's just kind of funny when you look at that.
0: I love it. I love the way the city's going. Uh, I do too. Like even the, the Pandozi, I don't know what that beach is
2: called. Yeah, Waterfront Park. Yeah. Like beautiful area. There. I walked by it this weekend. It's I don't know. I don't know when it's opening, but it looks ready. Yeah. It looks, super, yeah. it looks soon. Yeah. It's great.
0: Yeah. To summarize the OCP for you, like, is, has it been achieved what you want? Like if you were to summarize where you want Kelowna to be in terms of your vision for the OCP in 20 or 30 years from now, like where, where is that? And are we, are we going in that direction?
2: The OCP talks about like so many areas, whether it's like, you know, sewage or, Water infrastructure, or there's so many other components. But in my realm, let's say on the development side and growth, I would say that the OCP is kind of just in broad strokes saying we want to densify our urban centers. That's why we pre-zone the urban centers and the transit supportive corridors, and then have limited expansion of I guess single family. There's a lot of single family mm. suburbs that are still that are not yet built out, but we put a pause on any sort of like brand new areas. So, like Thompson so you, Flats. Kinda. Thompson Flats would be the prime example. Yeah. Um, so
0: you really want to focus on densifying the existing areas with more multifamily infill type projects instead of new development, single family.
2: I would say for the lifetime of this OCP, so let's say the ten years, or even let's be generous, fifteen. Yeah. I could be wrong on this, but if you took all the existing subdivisions that are out there, Kershaw Mountain, Black Mountain, ponds. Wilden, McKinley. Yeah, I still think there's probably for the lifetime of the OCP enough single family that it would, like, I don't think the marketplace is going to slow down like on the proportion of single family that we'd be built. Otherwise mm-hmm. I don't really see policy being a limiting factor, but as we get closer to the end of the OCP and let's say there are no new areas identified for single family, then we might start seeing pressures on either single family, pricing or relative to multifamily. But that's very speculative. So I would say that there's not really any change per se, other than I think the main goal of the OCP is to essentially, with the rapid growth of Kelowna, is to keep a pace of the the current single-family building rate, but just on the margin, have that net extra growth be accommodated through infill or through the major urban centers.
0: From an investor point of view, do you think it's a financially good investment to buy these, you know, million dollar properties that are basically teardowns and build a multifamily, whether it's four or six units? Um, do you think Kelowna is still a good investment that way from a like a developer? Obviously, these are on a little bit smaller of a scale, right?
2: And also from personal circumstances, I live in one of the um kind of the old R U sevens and it was a, that was the exact same situation and and a lot of times I, I get shocked for how much one of our fourplexes in our unit got sold for just recently, yeah. um, a year and a half ago. And it was like, really? Looking at it, I mean, I think there are a few factors. Like when I was looking at a place to buy in particular, like a lot of the standard uh, fourplexes either had only two bedrooms or had three bedrooms and small. Yeah. And so if you can get that extra bedroom, that third bedroom, if you have a bigger lot, I find that so valuable. Like even if it's a single, like we're a single car household and we have a young baby, but we make it work because we both can walk to work. Yeah. Yeah. And as yeah. So we share a vehicle and we use the vehicle on the weekends
1: and it's great. We love I'm it. Drive to this podcast.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I still think there's value. I mean, I guess it, the classic answer would be it depends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, I would say it depends on the initial purchase price. Like, I mean, yeah. I think if uh purchase prices are the way they were like 2017 or 18, when we introduced R sevens in the first place, like, I mean, there's been, I, don't know, I haven't got the exact numbers, but a lot of fourplex is built. Yeah. And so prices have caught up in terms of like, you know, buying a, a teardown. Yeah. But I mean, I still think it makes sense. I mean, as you still see lots of building out there and lots of development. So
1: And City's only gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger and then gonna need those places to live, so someone's gonna have to buy them.
2: If it's from an end user's perspective, I like, I think the demand is still there. Yeah. I mean I think the only factor on a, an investment building side is like, you know, your cost uncertainty with construction and labor. As well as that initial purchase price, if you're doing a teardown, yeah, yeah. Um, and then a rebuild. But in the end, I think the demand is still really strong for those product. People, people love. I love living in the core area. I think a lot of people do. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Last question on the investment front for you. There, I have a couple clients, very similar, smaller time developers, but looking to buy those type of properties. So, if you had a million dollars cash and you were going to go buy something and develop somewhere in the city location, where would it be? And what kind of style would you be going for? Like how how many units would you want to build?
2: I can use an example of a buddy of mine uh, built on the Ethel Street corridor. So it's on an active transportation corridor, which I think those are amazing, especially if you're you know, going to, if you have children that are going to school, there's a lot of schools that are around are there. It makes yeah. it super easy to get to and yeah. from school in a like kind of a safe fashion, yes. in a safe fashion. Yeah. And what he's doing um, building his house and then building a, a duplex in the back over a garage and having two rental suites and I mean, Like, so he'll have the, uh, that idea that we, you know, we used to have say that we're contemplating with the RU1 zone, having a house, and sweeten the but under the MF one zone, so under the infill zone, you're allowed to do three units, and you can own all of them. You can rent out the other two, and I think that's a really smart play from a you know long term income perspective. If the return makes sense, right? Like, you don't want to have like a one percent return if you can get it better somewhere else. But yeah, no. if the numbers work out, especially on your primary residence, and then uh, having kind of a couple rental units you know, and easy to manage in your backyard, essentially, I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Okay. <laughs> How do you become a planner? Like if someone's okay, actually great being like, you know what, Hey, I want to, I want to do exactly what you're doing and have a say on the city. What are the steps?
2: Well, my path to it was I started out as I did a summer job in a, it's called the Salmon Arm economic development society. That's where I yeah. grew up was in Salmon Arm. And I did a presentation to council on, um, I think it was on affordable housing back in 2005. And it was specifically in that circumstance that economic development society, in in general, a lot of small town economic development societies, their goal is to get new industries. And so they just recently got uh, like a trailer manufacturer from Saskatchewan. And their complaints were a lot of their, you know, highly skilled labor couldn't find the product of housing that they wanted, like in terms of, you know, to live nearby and anyways. So that got me interested in it. And so then... Uh, from then, uh, I made applications to uh, various planning schools. So, typically, you need a master's degree. And I did my master's degree at University of Manitoba. So, I spent two winters there. You usually count. Yeah, <laughs> you lived, love winters. Live to tell the story. Yeah, you count your, uh, <laughs> your years spent on the prairies by the number of winters you survive. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, uh, said so the one nice thing about Winnipeg compared to Kelowna, yeah. and I, cause I grew up in Salmon Arm in Kelowna, yeah. the, this is where all my family is. It's nice to see the sun in the winter. Yeah. So you get a lot of sun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's pretty gloomy here in the winter. That yeah, a lot of well. overcast. Yeah. But
2: it's minus 30, 40. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: Like, <laughs> even with a block here, my car sometimes did turn on. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's cold when.
1: I went to Regina one time and... I went to my friend's house and on the street there was like six or seven cars running and they were just running all night because they would not start in the morning. They just never turned them off.
2: Yeah, that's why I was there when the Mars rover first kind of like landed on Mars and there was all these (laughs) newspapers in (laughs) Winnipeg. No, no, all these news articles because they had a temperature gauge and it's like like, Winnipeg's colder at my house. (laughs) Winnipeg's colder than Mars. (laughs) I think they landed on the like the equator or something <laughs> like that, but there's all these news articles like, and it makes you feel good about yourself. But you
0: know. yeah, it so, on your street. So that's how you be a planner. You got to go to Winnipeg. Well,
2: no, there's a lot of planning schools across the country. <laughs> that's funny. and there's a lot actually a lot more undergrad programs being developed. But when I went to school, there was mostly just master programs. So it's yeah. I,
1: I'm
0: just it's such a cool. It's career. very cool. You get to have you get to make a major imprint on the city. Yeah, yeah. I never even thought this. Uh, Yeah, it was a possibility. I'll just go do a master's and live in Winnipeg. Maybe I got a chance. (laughs) Yeah, that is awesome, man. That's funny. Then you'll love spring. Yeah. That'll be the thing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Time for everyone's favorite part of the show, the ice maker section. Brought to you by myself, Matt Glenn. All right, Adam, what is the best habit or routine do you attribute to your success or something you feel our listener could benefit from?
2: Uh, One of the things I think is... uh, I like to learn something new every day. You know, yeah. I think you said you just something to something new today. Yeah. About, uh, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. So, and then also usually my recommendations and then share it with your uh, family, you know, yeah. Or friends. Yeah. And it's always uh, That's learning a learning cool something new is always uh, a nice way to think about like growth. simply. Yeah.
1: yeah. And they say that the best way to learn something is to teach it. So if you learn something new, then you got to go teach it to somebody. That's really right. That's good. Yeah. My wife loves when I teach her things.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go
1: upstairs and uh, tell Becca all the things I learned about Taylor today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she'll love that. Uh,
0: okay. What's the best thing you've ever spent money on?
2: I'd say knowledge, like education. Like I said at the beginning, my, my, my dad was born in Hungary. So my grandfather escaped. Back when uh, they, my grand, my dad was two years old, so it was during the revolution, and he always told me this. He's like Adam, and he pointed to my head. No matter what happens, and whatever, whatever you put up in here, and he pointed to my head and said, "They can't take that away from you." And that's kind of stuck with me, you know, for my whole life. So, I
1: love that. Uh, yeah, that is really that cool. is awesome. Yeah, it's something you can always work on too. So I love, uh,
2: and I think it's uh, you get an appreciation of like, you know, us living here in like essentially beautiful Kelowna, like. We are living in relative, you know, paradise, relative to a lot of areas of the world. And my, my family come, came from communist country. So, yeah. you know, hellhole, hellscape. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think relatively, like, we, there's always things you can improve. But we have a pretty good here.
1: I, I think, yeah, everyone needs to sit back and realize how grateful. Or not realize how grateful. How do you say that? Be uh, grateful for where Stop and off?
2: smell the roses. Yeah,
1: exactly. Seriously. <laughs> like, we live in, like, the most beautiful place on earth. Yeah, I agree. So, and we have an excellent planning department. Do, oh, so. yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. What is the most impactful book you've ever read?
2: Well, I only have what I have it on my mind kind of like recently, and I'd say a uh, human action by Mises, but that's kind of like a massive tone. So I took a, yeah. like a study guide on it. And you know, if I were to do it all over again, I would probably take, that's a, it's an economics, a treatise essentially. Um, I'd probably be involved in economics, but I guess it's, you know, with planning, there is a lot of love talking about the housing market, interest rates. You know, a lot of what everybody does in studying human action is essentially planning, development, you know, how we go about our daily lives. I find fascinating.
1: Yeah. Do you read nonfiction books exclusively?
2: Younger Adam read a lot more fiction. Yeah. After, you know, university, I probably dominate uh um, yeah. yeah. i mean the one exception i guess i'd say the last fiction book i probably read was the game of thrones series so nice before the show or during or uh it, it was probably no it was after the show started yeah but i finished it before obviously the show finished
0: nice nice yeah i love that yeah okay, okay. besides your grandfather's quote what's your uh, what's your favorite quote
2: uh i'm liking right now some george orwell so Love my dystopian. If I was going to do a fiction, I'd probably do dystopian. So yeah, this one yeah. here is, uh, who controls the past, controls the future, who controls the present, controls the past. I love it. So that's, uh, I would say it's kind of, very relevant relative to this podcasts. You know, it's, this is kind of the more information, more debate, more dialogue, the better.
1: Yeah. I agree. Just Dis- or sunshine is the best disinfected kind of. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. It was awesome. We learned yeah. so much. Yeah. What um, if people want to call you and complain about city planning? (laughs) Just throw out your personal number. Um, No, I mean obviously, yeah. There's there's the right avenues to follow to you know put in an application and speak with the city. But um, yeah, what can our listeners do to help you or support you in any way?
2: Yeah, I don't really have much in terms of like a, a social media presence, but I mean. My name and phone numbers on all these development applications you see around <laughs> around town. So it's it's very public information. Very interesting. So controls. it's uh, my work email and my work phone number, we could probably put it in the show notes page, yeah, but it's, it's it's out there. And anybody want to contact me about anything anything related to planning, anything really So uh, are
1: you open? Like do you encourage oh, yeah. people to get a hold of you and ask questions about stuff? Like yeah,
2: this? I actually um got a nice email from a planning student in Nanaimo recently that said I read your thesis and I had some questions and I was like, this is the first time somebody's ever asked me (laughs) about my thesis. I was literally
1: the only person who read my thesis.
2: (laughs) And they're like, nobody. I wrote my thesis on community amenity contributions in BC uh, back in 2010. And uh, I had some recommendations and the guy's like, you were ahead of your time because the new province that having some of the, you know, it's called the development application approval progress report yeah. that was done by the provincial government a lot of the things i was saying my thesis is kind of what they were that they, they kind of formalized in their um thing like kind of like a super dcc yeah. is a and dcc is a development cost charge so it was nice that that person phoned and we had a conversation about dccs and uh, community money contributions and what i wrote and i said you're probably the only person to read that other than my thesis committee so I appreciated that.
0: <laughs> okay. We'll say that. then. if anyone wants to reach out to you, they have to read your thesis. Yeah, so oh, you. good
2: luck. Well, I definitely will get nobody <laughs>
0: contacting me then. <though. laughs> we get one person. Okay.
1: Yeah. From the Bible.
0: Yeah.
1: So, it's been awesome having you on Adam and uh, really appreciate you spending the time with us.
2: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks okay. a lot.
0: See you later. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn
2: Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.